easy to do. Uh, to stand up there and tell everybody um, all the hard stuff that you've been going through. Um, what I love about um, that last song that we just sang, um, Whole, it's that it talks about the fact that God knows us intimately. He knows that story that we've all been through, um, all that, that pain and that trauma and um, the patience that we've had to endure and he knows us, each and every one of us, intimately. Um, and he also knows that we struggle to be real with him and, and give him all of ourselves. And yet, he is patient and loving, and he goes out of his way to the point of coming to earth as an infant to be tortured and to be killed as an adult in order to have an eternal relationship with us. So in all of our chaos and insecurity... He remains constant, and he gives all of us peace through it. So just keep that in mind um, as we dive into this passage in Matthew 2. So if you want to open up to there, um, you all should have Bible apps now because you just did the texting deal. Um, So Matthew 2, we're just going to read the whole uh, passage. We'll be landing in 13 through 23. Um, But for now, let's just read 1 through 12 together um, just to get some context. But... Uh, before we dive in, I do just want to let you know, um, if you don't know, it is a national holiday. Um, last year, I tried to name it so that somebody would catch on, and I called it Noips Week, which is National Obligatory Youth Pastor Preaching Sunday. Um, but it actually has taken on as a hashtag, and it's National Youth Pastor Preaching Sunday. So a lot, a lot of my friends have been posting, and I actually have a lot of friends probably preaching at the same time right now um, that are youth pastors. So... Um, yeah, thanks for having, uh, coming to church on Youth Pastor Sunday. Appreciate it. It's always the Sunday after Christmas, so put it on your calendars for next year. Um, so that being said, um, let me just pray for us and then we'll, we'll hop into, uh, the beginning of this passage. God, just thank you for knowing us. Thank you for, um, in all of your sovereignty, um, giving us the chance to choose you in every instance, in every circumstance. Um, so right now we're choosing to study you. We're, cha- we're, we're choosing to look into your word and look into your love letter to us uh, in order to get to know you a little bit better. So we pray that you would illuminate your word um, and that you would soften our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would speak through it this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so let's start in Matthew 2, uh, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we see or we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Alright, so we're just gonna stop right there for a second. So we are already starting to see the chaos in Israel in this in this context. So notice in verse three it says that Herod was troubled. But so was all of Israel with him, right? So I think you can look at this in two different ways. So either Jerusalem was troubled because they were afraid that their kingdom was going to fall apart yet again um, and get taken over. Or the other option is that they knew how King Herod would respond to someone else being called the king of the Jews, right? Because they knew Herod and what he had done. So let's go on to verse 4. We'll get back to that later. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, 
For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that, had seen, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they, opened, or they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So for those of you that are taking notes, um, I would say this, this part would be chaotic magi, good God. <laughs> so... This is our last week in our Christmas series called Peace in the Chaos. And in case you missed uh, our Christmas Eve service, Matt did an awesome job teaching us about um, the chaotic journey that the Magi took to worship Jesus. So I just want to touch a little bit on the backstory of the Magi and why they're so important to this story. So the fact that these Magi came to worship Jesus at all, the, the King of the Jews... Is super ironic when you think about it uh, in terms of the Old Testament. Because the Magi weren't Jews by any means. They were actually very similar in their practices and beliefs to the wise men that in Daniel and Esther, the books of Daniel and Esther, they, they tricked King Darius and King Xerxes, or at least tried to trick them into killing the Jews because they were intimidated by them. So... Now these Magi have rubbed shoulders with the Jewish people in exile, and they've learned a lot about the Old Testament prophecy, and especially about the Messiah. So they had been keeping watchful eye and were excited to come and see that prophecy fulfilled and worship this new king of the Jews. So God decided to make Jesus' location known to them, to those Magi. They were probably too close to Bethlehem, uh, geographically at that point, um, for the star to be some astronomical thing. Matt kind of talked about this. Um, For it to be some astronomical thing that they saw in the stars themselves. In fact, it even says here in this passage um, that the star came to rest over the place where the child was. So it had moved and it came to rest. So it was more likely God specifically guiding them a lot like he did for the Israelites in the desert with a pillar of fire. So it's this crazy, miraculous thing that God did for these men, and they were not Jewish people. They were Gentiles. And even more than that, he came to them in a dream and warned them not to return to Herod. So we tend to take this communication through angels and dreams and miracles for granted when we're just reading through Scripture. It's like, oh, yep, that sounds good. But just imagine how crazy each of those instances would be in this day and age. So we'd be talking about it for 
years, right? If something like that happened to us, we'd probably get book deals and we'd be telling that story for the rest of our lives. Um, and it would start to kind of define us as who we are. That's the guy that had that thing happen to him. So the fact that God guided and communicated with someone outside of the chosen nation of Israel was a huge deal. It almost never happened. So God didn't reveal himself to Jewish leadership because he knew Herod's heart was... He didn't, he didn't reveal himself to Jewish leadership because he knew that Herod's heart was hard toward any kind of opposition. And the really cool thing is that the Magi worshiping Jesus actually gives us a preview of the day when every tribe and tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So Jesus' life marked this historic shift that intentionally included everyone, not just Israel, into God's plan for redemption. Not everyone was as welcoming of Jesus, though. So King Herod was especially threatened by Jesus being called the King of the Jews. So let's keep reading so we can get to know him a little bit better. So here's at verse 3. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and uh, to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16. Then Herod, then Herod <clears throat> when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So, heavy section, right? <laughs> um, right in the middle of this story, this is, this is just a really heavy part. And I spent a lot of time studying this, wrestling with God on this, on you know, age versus uh, level of accountability and all these deep theological things. And uh, I feel like it was edifying for me. And if you want to talk to me about those things later, that'd be great. Um, but I'm going to do kind of a hard shift and tell you a little bit about what I got for Christmas this year. So... It wouldn't be a youth pastor sermon if we didn't have an object lesson, right? So, <clears throat> hiding back here behind the tree is one of my favorite presents that I got this year. So, any Mario Kart fans? So, Luigi is my favorite character. And in the more recent ones, it's because he can actually, like, as he's passing people, just give them this, like, death glare as he's going by. But... This is actually way cooler than I even expected coming out of the box because it's how I like wiggle a little bit, but you can actually like control him left to right and he like turns. So I have like complete control over this guy. And so we were racing out in the cul-de-sac and um, we did this two-lap race around with my brother-in-law and I won, not big deal or anything, but um, Luigi always wins though. So um, <clears throat> I had this thought, how far could I go with this? Like, 
what is the range on this? How far can I have control of it? Um, so I wanted to test it out today, if that's okay with you guys. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to see if I can get it all the way around back to stage um, without running into anybody. Greg, I'm sorry if you're out there making coffee. Okay, so it came to a certain point, right, where I can't see what's going on back there. I had complete control up to that point, <laughs> but once I lost control, I, there's nothing I can do at that point, right? So this is how Herod felt in this, in this part of uh, Scripture, because up to this point, Herod was able to just keep his power by any means necessary, and we'll see here looking forward how he did that. So obviously this is a desperate man that can't stand the thought of losing control, right? So he, he wants control for as long as he possibly can have it. Um, and when God takes it from him or even gives him the appearance that he's going to take control from him, he can't stand it. <laughs> he can't take it. And Herod was no stranger to killing people in order to keep his power. It's believed that he actually killed his own wife, and a few sons during his reign out of jealousy and fear of losing his power. The interesting thing, though, is that he actually played a big part in restoring God's temple in Israel. Um, but Herod was appointed king of the Jews by the Roman government. So he was more of like a figurehead than a God-chosen, anointed ruler over God's people like Saul or David, when you, when you think of these great kings of Israel. So to hear that someone else was going to be called the king of the Jews just sent him into a rage. And his jealousy came out in full force again. So there are people in the world, and I'm sure, I'm sure there are people even in your own life that have a chaotic mindset like Herod's. They only look after their own needs. They can't look past themselves to the needs and desires of people around them. And they're unable to accept joy and peace in any given situation. It's like they just feed off the chaos like it's their next meal. Anything but chaos feels wrong at this point in their life. So whether they knowingly do it or not, they actually pursue chaos and control Instead of submission and peace. And that feels normal to them. These people have chosen to go their own way and do things how they see fit. They refuse to submit to God's design for what healthy relationships or even leadership look like. And they rob themselves of the joy that they could have if they would only submit to God's design. Herod had the opportunity to go with the Magi to worship Jesus and welcome the Messiah that his, his people, Israel, had been waiting so long for. But instead, he chose to pursue chaos so that he could remain in control. And if we're honest, we all struggle with submitting to God's design, right? Right? We want to have control. And oftentimes, 
God has in mind to turn what we thought was our stability on its head in order to build trust in Him. Especially in 2020, where we look all around us and we feel like we're losing control at every step. We feel like, oh, it's going to be done now. I kept putting a date out there. Oh, it's going to be June. Oh, by challenge, we'll, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll go to challenge. Nope, don't get to go to challenge. We're still wearing masks now, and it's Christmas. We are not in control. Herod chose not to submit and secede his throne. Instead, he chose to take control at literally any cost. So, let's take a moment and look at this chaos from Bethlehem's perspective then. So, Bethlehem is this small village. So, there were likely about 10 to 30 boys killed. And that would have been devastating to a small community like that. Giving birth to a son ensured that you would make it in the world. So for some of those families, or most of those families, they likely lost their one chance to become or to continue their family line. And they were left completely vulnerable in that culture. And having another son was anything but a given. So if you know Kate and I, <laughs> um, we have two beautiful girls. And uh, we just got doubly confirmed on Wednesday that we will, in fact, have a third girl. Um, (laughs) And if you ask uh, Ryan or Eric Smith, they know that um, having a boy is anything but a given. Um, And as much as they say that it's up to us, nobody asked us. And we didn't get to choose. Um, So having a boy is not as easy as it sounds. So where does the peace come for the town of Bethlehem in the midst of this crippling, chaotic time in their history then? Just like God didn't abandon his son to be killed by Herod, he also didn't abandon those children. He didn't abandon those boys. God protected his promised Messiah, and in return, he eternally saved those boys. And by protecting Jesus, he also kept salvation alive for each and every one of us. So let's take a look at the end of this passage to see how God goes about protecting his promised Messiah. So verse 19 says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So God tells Joseph it's safe to return to Israel. But Joseph was afraid to go, knowing that Herod's son was now on the throne. And Joseph was right to be afraid of him because he he did a lot of the same things that his father had done. And on top of that, (laughs) it would have been yet another long, difficult journey for Joseph and his family to get back. And they had already just made a 90-mile journey by foot 
to get to the Egyptian border when they fled in the first place. Now, I looked it up, and in case you're curious, 90 miles on foot would be like walking from this church right here all the way up to Clear Lake. So, Nazareth would be even further than that. But Joseph chose to submit to God's plan and his calling. God honored that and chose to protect them amidst the chaos going on in Israel. He changed their destination and they ended up in Nazareth. Which was another fulfillment of prophecy. And Nazareth would be the place where Jesus would grow up. This is the safe haven that Joseph and his family finally found peace in the chaos. God gave them peace and protection throughout the first part of their life together. That first season of their life as a family was full of chaos and fear. But now in Nazareth, God provided them a home, a place to teach Jesus, the Son of God, his craft of carpentry, and to raise him, knowing full well who Jesus was and what he was there to do. But Nazareth was a very strange place for the chosen Messiah to grow up. Even some of Jesus' closest disciples were thrown off by the fact that their Messiah could possibly be a Nazarene. When, when he first heard about Jesus, one of them even said, uh, what good can come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was known as this little run-down village, and Nazarenes were seen as outcasts in that culture. And so the, in this story, we see that Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. He didn't just, to come, he didn't just come to earth as a human to die for our sins, the sins of Israel. He came to die for everyone's sin, each and every one of us. He came to die for Jewish government officials like Herod. He came to die for Gentiles like the Magi. He came to die for the outcasts like Matthew, the Jewish tax collector who wrote the book that we're reading right now. He died for all of us. And he's waiting for us to submit to his good and perfect plan. No matter how chaotic it might seem. He will provide peace amidst the chaos. Like Herod, our flesh is in constant conflict with God's perfect will for our lives. His plan often comes against our best laid plans, and we see it as a threat, just like Herod did. Sometimes I feel like we can't seem to accept true peace and rest when it comes to us. Especially in 2020, we're, we're all just waiting for the other shoe to drop and for something bad to happen. So when something good comes along, we can't seem to accept it, much less thank God for it. But I feel like there's one thing, if there's one thing that we can pull from this chaotic story and the people in it, it's that, and you can write this down if you want, true peace in the chaos comes from trusting in God's goodness. I'll just say that one more time. True peace in the chaos comes from trusting in God's goodness. God sees things completely 
differently than we do. He created everything and he is in complete control. But somehow in God's complete control and his sovereignty, what we do matters. And he's calling us to submit to him. To make that choice, that active choice to submit to him, to worship him with our lives. To surrender to his perfect will and to celebrate, appreciate, and connect with him while we do it. He wants us to have a relationship with him and unity with him. And for us to put down our white-knuckled fists that are trying so hard to do it our way, to control everything. True peace in the chaos comes from trusting in his goodness and choosing to enjoy the chaotic journey that he takes us on. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your work.